Good morning. Greetings to each one in Jesus' name this morning. Blessing to be here with you all again. Worship the Lord with you. Maybe before we uh, begin here, we could stand together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to come before you, to worship you, Lord, to bring our praises and our thanksgiving and our petitions to you, Lord, as our Father and as our God. Thank you for this time to gather together as your people to study your word, to uh, be instructed by it. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Pray that you give me the words to say. And help me, Lord, to rightly divide the word of truth. Lord, we ask for your presence here. May your spirit move in our hearts. Help us, Lord, have open hearts to receive from you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to introduce the uh, sermon this morning by taking you to a scene nearly 2,000 years ago, just outside the city of Jerusalem. Jesus had been crucified just the day before. His body had been laid to rest in a new tomb. It was a dark time for the followers of Jesus. Their Lord and Master, whom they had loved and served and followed, was gone. But it was a time of rejoicing for the religious leaders of the day. The one that had been a threat to their religious system was finally gone. And they could uh, relax. But they did have one concern. What if Jesus' disciples came and stole his body away and said that he was risen from the dead? They remembered that uh, Jesus had said that after three days, he would rise again. And so they were concerned. And so um, they were thinking, well, you know, if that would happen, the the last error could be worse than the first. So they came to Pilate with their concern, and he said to them, Ye have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. They set a group of soldiers outside that tomb, as guards, as sentries, to make sure that no one would come and enter that tomb when they weren't watching. They wanted to make sure that no one would get there. It was guarded well. It was secure. They had set a watch. The only problem was they were watching the wrong side of the stone. They were watching to make sure that no disciples were going, or anyone was going to sneak past them to get into that tomb. It doesn't seem like they were too concerned about the person inside. After all, he was dead. 
Well, this morning, my subject is not about the resurrection of Jesus, but rather I shared that story to give a picture to 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 uh, lay out the scene of this watch that had been set around this tomb. In Psalm 143, verse 141, verse 3, David said this, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. You see, our mouth is like a door to what's inside. Just like that stone that was over the face of that tomb was a door to what was inside. So is our mouth. It's an opening to what's inside. Just like they got it wrong that day, those religious leaders, when they were set the guard on the outside of the tomb and were concerned about what was outside, they made a similar mistake concerning the mouth. If we turn over to Matthew chapter 15, we'll see this. Here was the scene where the, Jesus uh, was there teaching his disciples and, and the scribes and the Pharisees came to Jesus. And they said, why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? Because they don't always wash their hands before they eat. And uh, so they saying this, this is not right. This was not just a, uh, a matter of good hygiene. This was a matter of right protocol. This was a, a religious thing. And I certainly believe in good hygiene and, you know, I don't think any of you children should use this as an excuse not to wash your hands before you eat. But Jesus here was not so much concerned about that as he was concerned about what was going on in their hearts because he was saying, he told them how they were focusing so much on the outward and neglecting the inward. Not, it's certainly not wrong to um, take care of outward things. That which is in the heart will be manifest on the outside. But he was saying, you transgress the commandment of God. And he goes on to talk about how they uh, wiggle around God's law in the matter of honoring their father and the mother. And then he says in verse 7, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth. This defileth a man. So we see here, again, they were guarding the wrong side of the door. They were concerned about what was going into the mouth rather than about what was coming out. The disciples asked him about this later, or Peter did particularly in verse 15. And Jesus said in verse 17, do ye not yet? Understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draft. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. 
For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. Now, it may defile you physically. You may possibly get sick if you're not careful with your hygiene, but it does not affect your spirit. And Jesus was saying, that is what is most important. So the title of my message this morning is, Watch Your Mouth. Watch Your Mouth. Now, you may have heard that expression used as somewhat of an idiom. We don't literally watch our mouth. We actually physically can't. But what's it saying? It's saying that um, be careful what you say. Guard your mouth. Usually that is said when somebody's being like smart-mouthed a bit and maybe uh, sassing off at someone. They'll say, watch your mouth. Or maybe using improper language. And those are, it's proper to rebuke someone with that uh, expression. But today, I'd like to speak about our mouths. You know, the Bible speaks a lot about our mouths. According to Strong's, the word mouth or mouse is used over 400 times in the scripture. Now, some of those times are not about uh, people's mouths, but for the most part it is. Over 400 times, and that's not including all of the times it speaks about our lips or about our tongues or about our words. So we know that this whole issue is a big subject in Scripture. And there's no way I can really do it justice this morning. But we want to give it some consideration. So why should we watch our mouths? Well, as is already alluded to here, the first thing is, the things that we speak come from our heart. And that's why we should watch our mouths. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12, a couple pages earlier here in Matthew. And it speaks about this. Beginning in verse 33. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. I guess that alludes some to the children's lesson here this morning. You know, what a tree is is the what is going to produce. What seed is planted in the ground, that is what is going to come forth. And so it is with our mouths. The things we speak come from our heart. A tree is known by its fruit. He goes on to say, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, Speak good things, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That which our hearts are filled up with, the abundance, the surplus. If our hearts are filled with good things, good things are going to come out. If our hearts are filled with carnal things, the things of this world, that's what's going to come out. Verse 35, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Here it talks about treasure, that which is important to us. A treasure is something that we value. And we fill up our hearts with the things that we value. 
You don't usually have to talk to someone very long until you find out what is important to them. That which they spend their time thinking about. So we need to watch our mouth because it's an indicator of what is going on inside. That doesn't mean then we just stop speaking, but rather it means that we need to consider what's inside and look at that and change it if need be. Verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. So now we have another reason why we should watch our mouths, because someday we are going to give an account for the words that we say. We're going to be judged for the words that we say. Verse 37. By thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. That's pretty serious. It talks here about idle words. What's idle? It means that which is inactive or unemployed. It's useless. It's, it's worthless. Not of any value. We're going to have to reckon uh, or explain our motives for the things that we have said. We'll have to give an account to God someday. It's been estimated that most people speak enough in one week to fill a large 500-page book. This means that in the average lifetime, this would amount to 4,000 volumes of a large book or 2 million pages. That's a lot of words that we tip- a typical person speaks in their lifetime. Well, it says here, by your words, you're going to be justified, or by your words, you will be pronounced guilty. So that's sobering. We need to watch our mouths. Now, if we have sin with our mouths, there is hope. First Timothy 5.24 says, Some men's sins are open beforehand going to judgment, and some men... They follow after. So if we realize we have sin with our mouth, something that God is going to call us to account for, we can bring it to him now. And then we will not have to face it on judgment day. If we send it four times to judgment. Why should we watch our mouths? Third reason. The words we say and the way that we say them can have a powerful Effect upon those who hear them. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those are powerful things to consider. So let's think about some of the ways that this happens. Proverbs 15.1 says that a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. So our words can calm people down or they can stir them up. They can work either way. I'd like to look at a couple examples in scripture of both of these, where someone's words had a calming effect and another count where they had the opposite effect. 
Turn with me to Judges chapter 8. Both of these accounts are in the Old Testament. Judges chapter 8. Now, the setting for this uh, account here is the story of Gideon. And I think most of us would be familiar with that story. How God had called Gideon to deliver his people from the Midianites. And he had gathered together over 30,000 people that were willing to follow him into the battle. But God said, this is too much. And so he said, tell those who are not, or those who are afraid to go home. And Gideon was left with 10,000. God said, it's still too much. And he had them, had him bring them down to the water to to the brook and drink some water. And uh, God said, those who lap the water with their hand are the ones that I want to take you to battle. It's only 300 that was left. It left an impossible situation, naturally speaking, because the Midianites were a huge army. And uh, But Gideon still went forward in faith. God used uh, a couple of instances there to, to strengthen his faith. He put out a fleece and and um, maybe that happened before he gathered them in. But anyway, then he uh, sent him down to the camp, and he overheard the story of how someone was had a dream, and that gave Gideon much courage. And as we know, they had a great victory. They surrounded the camp that night. They uh, they had pictures and lamps, and they made a, a terrible racket, and it just totally scared the the army. And they ended up fighting each other and running and. Then they pursued after them, and if you look at the um, the end there of chapter seven, um, verse twenty-three, there began pursuing these people, and it says the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, out of Asher, and out of all Manasseh, and pursued after the Midianites. And then in verse twenty-four, Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying. Come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters unto Beth Barah and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Beth Barah and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. And they slew Oreb upon the rock Oreb and Zeb. They slew at the winepress of Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side Jordan. So that's the background for the scene. And now in chapter 8. We have this. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, unto Gideon, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I now done in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. So, here these men, the Ephraimites. Gideon had called them. He sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim saying, Come and take the waters. Uh, cut off their escape route. And they did that. And they uh, managed to capture the princes and... Were the Midianites actually, I mean, the Ephraimites actually not called? They actually were. I mean, Gideon could have really defended himself here. 
But he didn't say anything about that. He could have said, look, I had 30,000 men, 32,000 I think it was, and God made me pare it down to 300. It's not my fault. I mean, it was, that's what God called me to do. And then, hey, I did actually tell you to come down and help me. And so what are you fussing about? No, he didn't say that. He used a soft answer. He reminded them and said, well, look, who am I? Uh, I'm nobody special here. You're the ones that really uh, made a key difference in, in the victory that we, we've won here. So he didn't defend himself. He just acknowledged that they were important to the victory. And uh, he gave a soft answer. And it turned away wrath. So let's learn from Gideon and be like him. When we're challenged about something that doesn't seem fair, use a soft answer. You don't have to defend yourself. So much can be put to rest when we approach conflicts that way. Now, let's go forward a few chapters to chapter 12. And we have another account of the men of Ephraim. Maybe something ran a little bit thick in the blood of the Ephraimites. I don't know. But now we have another problem here. And almost the same thing happened. But it is 100 years later. It's, it's uh, approximately 100 years later. Now it's not Gideon on the scene, but Jephthah. And Jephthah was, uh, was the judge of, uh, or he had not been, he was called to come and, uh, um, help the Israelites against the, um, children of Ammon, it was this time. And, um, Jephthah had a little different attitude about his, uh, his role. Gideon had to be persuaded pretty much against his will to take up the role of leadership. Um, Jephthah, on the other hand, um, had been rejected as a young man from his family and then his, uh, his family and, and their, and the relatives there ended up calling him to, to come and help them and he wanted to know, you know, in, verse, in chapter 11 verse 9, he says, if ye bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? You know, he had some, uh, he had some uh, agenda here. You can see some of that there in his, his attitude. But in spite of all that, God used him and he delivered the children of Israel through the efforts of, of Jephthah. And then in chapter 12, the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon and didst not call us to go with thee? It's almost the same story as it happened with, with Gideon. We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, ye delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my, in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore then are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me? So he's basically saying, look, I did call you and you didn't come. So what's the problem? And God delivered them into my hand anyway without you. Well, this didn't go down so well. It was not really a soft answer. And probably the tone of voice made it sound a lot worse than what I made it sound like. 
So he defended himself. And as a result, there ended up being a battle. And they ended up fighting against each other. Um, verse 4, Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. And uh, so apparently there was some other insults hurled there at the Gileadites. They said they were, the Ephraimites said, you're fugitives and you're, you're really not that special anyway. And so as a result, verse 6 says there was 42,000 men died in that battle. Just of the Ephraimites. I'm not sure if it says about the other side. So there we have grievous words stirring up anger. And as a result, there was much destruction, much loss of life. So why should we watch our mouth? Because grievous words stir up anger. So we should rather look for ways to be agreeable. Like Gideon was. Don't return fire for ire, as Jephthah did. But rather give a soft answer. Even if it would seem justifiable to respond that way, it might not feel like we were being accused justly. We still should respond this way. A wholesome tongue brings life. Proverbs 15.4 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. So wholesome means curative, that which brings healing, that which makes whole. Your words have the power to bring healing and help to someone. Whereas a tongue that distorts the truth or is vicious has the opposite effect. It says perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Perverseness is that which is twisted or distorted or false. Um, Proverbs 4.24 says put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee and that word froward and perverse is very similar as, as far as what it means it's, it's turned away from that which is good and right it's corrupted and it can also mean uh, froward especially can be that which is being obstinate or in opposing what is right and reasonable or accepted. So, if we find ourselves saying stubborn words or resistant words, we need to be careful. Set a watch. Watch your mouth. Put away those, those kind of words. If we use our mouth rightly, it can be a well of life. Proverbs 10.11 says, The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. A well of water in a dry area brings life to its surroundings. People will use that well to draw water and to water the land around it and to uh, allow life to come forward, come forth. Um, when there's dry land, things can't grow. But when there's water, there can be growth. And so a well in a dry land creates an oasis, a place of rest, a place of refreshment. 
The mouth of a righteous man attracts others to him and brings refreshment to them. Just like an oasis in a desert attracts people who are traveling through and they want to stop and be refreshed by that water. Our mouths can be that way. It can make us that way so that people are attracted to us. Proverbs 15.23 A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season, how good is it? The words we say have potential to bring joy to others, to bring encouragement, to bring blessing, and not only to others, but even to our own hearts. On the other hand, words of suspicion and judgment can be very painful. Let's turn to Psalm 35 for an example of this. Psalm 35, beginning of verse 19. Now, the setting here for Psalm 35 is a time when David is going through a time of pain and and grief. It probably was written right after that sin with Bathsheba. And people were talking. God had told him, as we heard earlier today, about you know when, when Nathan confronted him about his sin. He said, because of this, you give great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. And I believe they did. It's kind of reflected here in this, in this psalm here. Verse 19. Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. Neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Yea, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eye hath seen it. This thou hast seen, O Lord. Keep not silence. O Lord, be not far from me. Stir up thyself and awake to my judgment. Even unto my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Lord, my God, according to thy righteousness. And let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Ah, so would we have it. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at mine hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. So David heard the gossip, even the false accusations that were said about him, and it hurt. We see the pain reflected here. Now, if this was indeed written after his sin, there is no doubt that there was some truth to what was being said. But as is often the case, more is said than what actually happened. And that can be really painful for that person when he hears the rumors, the things that he did do that were wrong, but then they were taken further. And things tend to stretch when there's gossip and slander going on. So gossip and slander inflict deep pain and cause a lot of damage in the heart of the person that's spoken about. We must guard against that. We must watch our mouths. We're warned about that in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 22, where it says, The words of a talebearer 
are as wounds. And they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. So when those stories come back to the person, the stories that are shared about them, it's like a deep wound down into the innermost part of the belly. It's like being stabbed in the stomach. Sometimes those things can hurt almost more than physical pain. And it could be that those who share the things don't even think about how painful it will be to that person when they hear what we've said. We must watch our mouth. Proverbs 26.20 Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. So how do you stop a fire? Well, we know that fire needs fuel, it needs air or oxygen, and it needs heat in order for it to to burn. If we take any one of those three away, the fire will go out. So we take away the fuel. How do you stop a tail from spreading? Don't let it get to your tongue. Don't pass it on. Don't give more fuel to that fire. Rather, pour cold water on it. That's how we put a fire out, right? We dump cold water on it. It takes away the heat and the oxygen, and the fire goes out. So when someone comes to you with a juicy tidbit about someone else, how should we respond? Pour cold water on it. It's been said that when anyone was speaking ill of another in the presence of Peter the Great, he would shortly interrupt him and say, well, now, does he not have a bright side? Come, tell me what is excellent about this person. It's easy to splash mud, but I would rather help a man to keep his coat clean. Let's have that attitude. I don't think this person was even a godly man, but we can learn from that. Can we speak that way when someone comes to us with a juicy tale about someone else? Let's just say, you know what? Let's think about something good about that person. That may be true, but maybe not. And that can so quickly pour cold water on that fire. You know, those who listen to slander are also responsible. Those who take it in. Here's a couple of quotes I found. Calumny would soon starve and die of itself if nobody took it in and gave it lodging. Another quote, there would not be so many open mouths if there were not so many open ears. People would soon learn not to talk if they knew that we didn't give them a listening ear. The Bible speaks of the tongue as a fire. As we've been saying here already, James chapter 3, verse 5 says, The tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Those are strong words. On July 23rd of this year, a trailer was being towed near Highway 299 in California. 
As being towed, the tire blew, and the rim drug on the asphalt and created a few sparks. Those sparks landed in some dry material there by the side of the road. Just a few sparks. But that those sparks began the fire known as the car fire that became the sixth most destructive fire in the history of California. And there's other wildfires that were even worse there. Some of them I haven't, I didn't really research them to see how they all started, but many times those huge wildfires that we've been hearing about in the news, and it seems like there's been a lot of them in the last several years, that caused tremendous damage, they start just small. A few sparks in this case. They do a lot of damage. It begins a fire that keeps growing and growing and spreading and winds come that, that fan the flames and they just goes out of control. That fire grew to nearly 230,000 acres. I didn't do the math to see how many square miles that would be, but it's quite a few. I think that's well, it's a few hundred square miles that that fire covered. There's been record-breaking fires in our country this year. There's been actually a total of all the fires combined. Over 8 million acres have been destroyed by fire this year alone. That's more than the whole state of Maryland. Many of those started with a spark. A small thing. Maybe a cigarette carelessly thrown out of a window. These huge fires start with small things. And that's, what can, that's the picture we have here in James. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire. How many times have people been brought to ruin by things that were started? And especially now, today, we have, if you talk about things in the political scene, you have the media that will take a story and, and just blow it up and it becomes, it just spreads all over and people's careers are at stake. People's futures are destroyed. And many times, the stories are just allegations and there's not even basis for it. Things have not been proven. So make sure that you only tell the truth. And sometimes there are true things that need to be said, but be very careful how you say them and when. Let's not fan the flames of a fire. Proverbs twenty six twenty eight: A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Now, I would trust that we wouldn't knowingly tell a lie. But how many times have we said something negative about someone to find out later that it was not entirely true? What does this verse say about you in that case? It says that you hate them. What does it say about the person that you've spoken against? It says they are afflicted. Afflicted means crushed or injured. It can be a crushing experience for those who are the recipients of a fire of gossip that has gotten out of control. It says a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Flattery brings ruin too. It's a smooth tongue with words that are not spoken in sincerity. 
And that also brings destruction. So when we speak, let's speak sincerely, not with flattering words. Why should we watch our mouth? Because our mouth can bring ruin to many people. We should watch our mouth because those who watch their mouth, those who guard their mouth, guard their life. Proverbs 13.3 says, He that keepeth his mouth, keepeth his life. But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Proverbs 21.23 Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Keep your mouth. Oftentimes that word keep has the idea of guarding. Set a watch before my mouth, O Lord. Watch your mouth. Well, how should you watch your mouth? By exercising restraint in your speech. When should we be doing this? Well, when God convicts us of sin. We have the example of Job in Job chapter 40. After Job had defended himself quite a bit before his three friends who did not wash their mouths very closely. And then God did confront Job about the words and the things he was saying. And he did that here in chapter 40. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand, my hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer, yea, twice. But I will proceed no further. God was speaking to him, and he stopped and said, Okay, I will not say more. I will listen to what you have to say. So when we are convicted of sin, like Job was here, we need to stop and not say anything. Other than acknowledging, like Job did here, Job acknowledged that he had spoken rashly. He had said more than he should have. And so he said, I will say no more. I will stop. And he held his tongue. So, when God convicts us of sin, we should exercise restraint in our speech. We should not defend ourselves when we've done wrong. Even if there's unjust, unjust accusations that come against us from other people. If we go to Psalm 38, verses 13 and 14, it says, but uh, let's see here before we read those. David's writing this when he's convicted of sin. You know, I think I may have been wrong. I think this may have been the, the chapter that was probably written after the sin with Bathsheba. The other one may have been when he was fleeing from Absalom. I'm not sure when that one was, but I think I got those two psalms mixed up here. Psalm 38. Um, in verse 3, David's writing and he's convicted of his sin. Verse 3, there is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over my head. As in heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. 
So apparently this was a um, a public sin that he that he was committed. Of course, this would have been with sin with Bathsheba, and uh, he's recognizing that this is just too much. He's just a heavy burden for him, and he's convicted. And then in verse eleven, it talks about how the uh, how this affected his relationships with people. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. So it was a painful time for him. His uh, his friends, his relatives were keeping their distance. His enemies were taking advantage of the situation to speak against him. Yet, what? Did, how did he respond? Verse 13, But I as a deaf man heard not, and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. He remained quiet. There was no retort, no reproof, no correction, no proving that the accusations went too far, but just acknowledging that uh, he had done wrong. So we should not defend ourselves when we have done wrong. We should watch our mouths. He put his hope in God, verse 15. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord, my God. Rather than taking things in your own hands, when uh, rumors come that, you know, that we've done something even more than we have, rather than trying to make it, to fix it all, just put our hope in God. We need to keep a bridle upon our mouth. Psalm 39.1 says, I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle, while the wicked is before me. So what is a bridle? A bridle is put on a horse to control it. Um, and so, just like a bridle is used to control a horse, so we should put a bridle upon our mouths, figuratively speaking, to control what we say. We need to have controls in place. We need to take heed so that we do not sin with our, with our mouth, like David said in Psalm 39. We need to watch our mouths. If we fail to do this, it's a serious thing. James says in chapter 1, verse 26, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, this man's religion, but to see with his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So, that verse says that a free tongue that is not bridled, that is not kept in check, indicates that the religion we have is empty, it's profitless, it's vain, it's vanity. That's a pretty shocking thing to consider. If, we're, if we have a loose tongue, it says something pretty serious about the state of our heart and the, the value or lack of it concerning our religion. It says there that a, pers- a religious person that has an unbridled tongue deceives himself. He thinks he's good because he's keeping the standards of the church or fulfilling the expectations of those around him, but his tongue is loose. It's not bridled. And thus, his religion is vain. God calls us to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. 
As it says in verse 19 of that same chapter, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. It's been said that the reason God gave us two ears and only one mouth is because he wants us to listen a lot more than we speak. And I think there's some truth to that. We, certainly we are called to be quick to hear, but slow to speak. Not quick to defend ourselves, not quick to talk, but quick to listen. Proverbs 15.2 The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Poureth out foolishness. I get the picture of a gushing mouth. Now, you probably have had experiences with people where, as they, as we say, you can't hardly get a word in edgewise because they just talk and talk and talk and you, you have to interrupt them in order to say anything. That's the picture I get. Uh, or when I think of that, I think of a gushing mouth. It just pours out. And what does it say? The mouth of fools pours out foolishness. In other places, it says, in the multitude of words, there lacketh not sin, or something to that effect. I don't have that in my notes. So we need to be careful if we speak, if we are the ones that like to talk a lot. Watch your mouth. Proverbs 15.28 says, The heart of the righteous studieth to answer, but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. There again, we have the picture of pouring out. But what's the opposite of that? It's to stop and study to answer, to think before you speak. Ponder what you're going to say before you answer. If you are one that tends to be quick with your with your uh, answer when someone speaks to you, be careful and take heed to this. We should think twice and speak once rather than speak too quickly and then have to try to take your words back. You know, we've probably all seen an illustration in a children's lesson at some time or another where someone uses uh, a toothpaste tube to, and uh, squeezes it out as an example of words that come out of our mouths and then ask someone to try to put the toothpaste back in the tube. You know, it's very difficult to do. Uh, maybe you can get a little bit back in, but not a whole lot. Um, and that's, you know, when the words get out, we can make apologies, we can apologize, yet they've been out, they've been said. And uh, there's only so much you can do to bring them back. Or, like if you rip open a feather pillow and scatter it to the wind, you go try to collect all those feathers, it's practically impossible. You may be able to catch a few, but they're gone. So we need to watch our mouths. Those who say the first thing that comes to their mind are likely to pour out evil things. And that can bring regret. So let's watch our mouths. So I'd like to spend a few minutes here in conclusion considering what should be coming out of our mouths. What should be coming out of our mouths? Psalm 54.2 says, Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. So prayer is something that should be coming out of our mouths. And the Bible speaks much about prayer. Um, and that could be a whole sermon in itself about how we should be 
our hearts should be welling up in prayer to God and, and with our petitions and with our, uh, our hearts. And we should pray with our mouths. We should be telling God's praises. We should be praising God with our mouth. When we've experienced forgiveness and freedom from guilt, it results in praise in our hearts. Psalm 51.15, again, the psalm that was very clearly written um, after David's sin and his repentance. He said, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. When we've been forgiven, when our guilt has been washed away by the blood of Jesus, praise should be coming forth out of our mouth. Not only when we've been redeemed and we've been washed clean, should we be praising the Lord, but when we've been delivered from other difficulties, difficult circumstances, or challenging things. In Psalm 40, uh, it says, the psalmist writes, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the merry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. This could apply to uh, the, the merry clay and the horrible pit of sin. But it can also apply to other difficult circumstances we find ourselves in that may feel like a horrible experience. And we cry to the Lord and he delivers us. That should result in praise coming forth from our heart and from our lips. We should be praising God continually, even when things are going well. Not only when we deliver from difficulties, but uh, through the good times, through the hard times, praising the Lord. Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Is that our testimony? I will praise the Lord continually. Psalm 71, 8, Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. In Psalm 71, 15, My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day. For I know not the numbers thereof. All day long we should be singing praises to the Lord, speaking of Him, praising Him, as we have opportunity with those we interact with. What else should be coming out of our mouths? Psalm 37, verse 30 says, The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart, and none of his steps shall slide. So wisdom should be coming out of our mouth if we are righteous. Because as we learn to know God, we learn to know wisdom. And he gives us wisdom for the situations we face. And as we experience life, we learn. And we grow in wisdom. And those things should be coming out of our mouths. It's interesting to note in that verse there, it says that the law of God is in his heart. See, as we spoke about at the beginning, that which is in the heart is what comes out. And so the mouth of the righteous 
speaketh wisdom because his heart is filled with the law of God and his word is dwelling richly in him and thus wisdom is what comes forth out of his mouth. And then it says none of his steps shall slide. It's going to establish him. It's going to bring stability to his life. Psalm 49 verse 3. My mouth shall speak of wisdom and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. So let us speak wisdom. In Proverbs 31, we have the description of the virtuous woman. And it says this, She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. So, sisters, as you go about your duties at home, interact with the children, are you speaking wisdom into their hearts and lives? Is the law of kindness in your tongue? Bless others with your lips, even when they mistreat you. It says in Romans twelve fourteen, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. To bless other people is to speak well of them. Is to encourage them. So when people mistreat us and do us wrong, you may be tempted to speak ill of them. But rather than doing that, we are called to bless them with our mouths. Bless and curse not. Even if they would, even if they don't deserve it. Teaching should be coming out of our mouths, especially those of us who are parents. But I think this applies to all of us. We have opportunities to um, to teach other people about God and His goodness. Psalm seventy-eight says, "Give ear, O my people, to my law, and incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable." I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come his praises and his wonderful works that he hath done. Parents, are we teaching our children about the mighty works of God? Telling them about the powerful things he has done in your own life. Don't let your children grow up ignorant of the work that God has done in your life. They should know your testimony. They should know uh, the way that God has led you, the things that he has taught you. And they also should know about how God has moved throughout history, as it says there in that psalm. Tell them about God's works. Read them uh, stories of missionaries who uh, sacrificed and gave their lives for the cause of Christ. Let them know about God's wonderful works. Let them know how God has worked throughout history, the revivals that he has brought. The, uh, his, his mighty hand. Of course, we have many examples in scripture, but, and that's, that's of paramount importance that we, uh, we teach them out of God's word. But there's many other examples of godly men and women that can inspire the hearts of our children if we will teach them. So teach your children the mighty works of God. Those are things that should be coming out of our mouths. Teach them about God's hand throughout history. So just to summarize what we've been talking about this morning. Our mouth is like a door into our hearts. It's a door that must be guarded well. We must set a watch over our lips. That should be our prayer. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. 
We need to watch our mouths because it reveals what's in our heart. And we will be judged by the things that we say. And when we find that the things of our heart are being exposed that are not good, then we need to stop, repent, look at them, deal with them so that our words can be changed. Our words have a powerful effect on others for good or for ill. They can be a great blessing or they can cause a lot of damage. So we need to exercise restraint in our speech and bridle our tongue. We need to be swift to hear, slow to speak, careful when making a judgment. Make sure you understand the whole story. When you do speak, use words of praise to God and blessing to others. So may the prayer of David in Psalm 1914 be upon our hearts where he says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. May the Lord bless you.